I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Attorney Andrew Crawford, Policy Counsel with the Center for Democracy and Technology. Andy will be discussing a new privacy framework for health data that has been developed by CDT with the eHealth Initiative and Foundation. So Andy, I understand that the framework aims to set standards around the collection, disclosure, and use of health data that fall outside the protection of HIPAA. What kinds of health data are we talking about? We're talking about data that can relate to anything from information that's collected from a smartwatch, a fitness tracker, for instance. It can be information that's gathered from a smartphone app, like a, a health tracker app, or a mental health app. It could be things like information that are captured from websites that we visit. Think about websites like a website that caters to a specific disease or condition, maybe a support group for one of those. It can even include information about kind of geolocation. If my geolocation information reveals that I frequent a certain clinic, for instance, that is known to treat a certain type of disease or condition, that information can be really probative into my mental and or physical health. So we're talking about a wide range of information that our framework tries to address. What I just listed encompasses a pretty broad range of data. And one of the things that we really worked really hard on with the framework, which is the product of over a year's worth of effort at this point, was how we go about defining what is health data. And we really took a a broad approach because of the data set that I talked about. It, It encompasses a lot of different entities and a lot of different types of data, some data that on its face might not appear to be health data, but when it's used, collected, and stored in certain ways can, like I said, be really probative into an individual's health. So we tried to define the data based on how it's used, how it's collected, how it's shared. And if it is done for a health-related purpose, then you know that data set's gonna fall within the definition of our framework. So that's how we tried to capture a lot of it. It's a big universe of data, and we've tried to create a definition that's that's flexible enough to capture that universe of data that we're trying to capture. So Andy, with that said, to whom does this framework apply? Who would be the user of this framework? So we're really targeting entities that fall outside of HIPAA, right? So we're not talking about doctors, health providers, insurers. Those type of entities are already regulated under the HIPAA statute that includes relatively strong privacy protections that a bunch of people are going to be already familiar with. What we've tried to do is identify data sets that are equally as sensitive, but fall outside of those HIPAA protections because they're basically housed and held and used by entities that fall outside of HIPAA's rather strict definition. So what we hope for is the framework to apply to entities such as application developers. If you're developing a a health app or an app that gathers information about individual's health, this would apply to you. If you are an IoT device manufacturer or developer creating a new smartwatch, for instance, that's going to track fitness metrics for people who work out, that would be another entity that it would cover. Website developers, like I said, some of the data sets are going to be generated by websites that people visit. It could be you know, geolocation services, right? If, if that data set's being used for health purposes or to draw conclusions about individual's health, we think the framework should apply to those folks too. And, and we'd invite those folks to, to take a look and consider signing up. So when it comes to the framework and some of the examples of technology companies that you gave, how would they apply this framework? For instance, would they agree on certain consent by consumers for the use of their data? Would they be agreeing 
agreeing to protecting the data in a certain way or not sharing the data without disclosure to the users or the consumers of the data? What sorts of things are in this framework? So the core part of the framework that we really like to emphasize and talk a lot about is the protections around how entities that collect, use, and disclose this data treat it and how they handle it and how they use it. And we've really drawn a lot of tight protections around this so that the data is really only going to be used for limited purposes that are consistent with a consumer's requests and expectations, right? I'll just use the fitness tracker again as an example. If I have a device that I wear to track my running metrics, so how fast I'm running, where I'm running, and what my heart rate is, I don't expect that device to, for instance, always be monitoring my metrics when I'm not working out, for example. If I'm entering an address, I probably don't expect the, the device to access all my address book and populate it and store it forever, right? I expect it to do limited things for reasons that I request. In addition to those kind of core protections for basically, you know, preventing most secondary uses. There are some exceptions that I'm happy to talk about later. There are also kind of more traditional notice and transparency provisions, right? We want to make sure that consumers are empowered to know how entities are going to be collecting, using, and sharing their data. There are consent mechanisms, uh, again, um, before any entity is going to be permitted to collect, user store consumer health information, they're going to have to get affirmative consent from the consumer to do so. And then there are other triggers uh, and protections within it, within the framework as well around how they utilize that data for research, how they use the data for commercial product development, how they use it as it relates to employees. There's a pretty robust set of standards that we've tried to develop in the framework to cover all of that. Can you give an example of an exception? We've got several exceptions. And one is, I already noted, there's exceptions for research. So when you're using consumer health information to contribute to you know, public knowledge, to contribute to general public health knowledge, there are exceptions for how and when you can utilize the data that's collected for that type. There are security and functionality exceptions, right? We want to make sure that the tech or the product is functioning the way that both the consumer and the manufacturer or the developer intend. So we want to make sure that, you know, there's, there's ways for folks to make sure that it's functioning the way it is. There's exceptions for kind of emergency uses. So if there's an entity believes there's imminent risk of death or serious injury, there's permissions to share data kind of outside of the more core protections. There's an exception, as I noted, around how employers handle employee data that may also be related to their health. And then one of the other exceptions we've kind of added as a result of some of the continued feedback we've got is some limited commercial development for first parties. So how entities that are receiving the data can potentially utilize some of it to develop related or new products while also still protecting consumer privacy. Andy, I also understand that the framework proposes an independent self-regulatory body to hold member companies accountable to the standards. What kind of independent self-regulatory body is envisioned? How would it potentially work? And is this framework a voluntary sort of thing? It, it is a voluntary framework and we've kind of envisioned it and this has evolved over time and the, the framework we released is focused on a self-regulatory program that is housed within ideally a, an existing organization. We kind of lean towards that as opposed to standing up a, a brand new entity based on a lot of the feedback we've gotten from folks over the course of this process. Yeah, it would be a self-regulatory program administered by what we hope to be an existing entity that would take and implement a lot of the protections or all the protections that I've outlined and how's that within their organization 
and then administer the framework. There's a host of mechanisms we've built into it when it comes to funding based on size and scope of the entity and the type of data and the size of the entity. There's also different portions of the self-regulatory regime that would garner how folks are potentially referred to self-enforcement, enforcement by the entity that's running it, or potentially even being referred to outside entities like an FTC or even state's attorney generals should folks um, not live up to the commitments that they make. So Andy, how would this framework potentially help address data privacy issues that have arisen during COVID? For instance, would this address contact tracing apps, those sorts of things? I think they're related. And, you know, we started developing the framework literally a couple months before COVID really struck here in the U.S. And, you know, as a result, a lot of the the work we've done has been under the 2020 life that we all now have gotten used to with COVID lockdowns and and such. And I think the key part when it comes to COVID in the framework is a recognition that this data that we're talking about, data about consumers' health, can be very powerful in helping develop technologies that we both want and frankly need when facing a pandemic. But there should be a recognition that that work can be done while also respecting consumer privacy. And I think our framework does a fair job of laying out a whole rubric and metrics for how folks should utilize consumer data that is sensitive, it's probative into their health, while also allowing it to be used for you know, societal benefits. And that includes COVID, right? It's, it's not in any way preventing data being used, but it's saying, you know, use it in ways that respect and protect the consumer's privacy. So again, for instance, if you're collecting data for COVID research, making sure that the scope of the data is limited to only what is absolutely necessary. You're not collecting associated data sets that really don't help one way or another move the ball on what the actual goal is. You're respecting consumer choice and consumer expectations with that data. You're only keeping it for as long as you need, right? Once you've done the work with the data, uh, and it's no longer necessary, you've got a plan to to destroy it and to make sure that it's not just sitting in a repository forever. And Andy, you mentioned that the framework work started more than a year ago. And I understand that this version of the framework builds upon a draft privacy framework for health data that CDT and the eHealth Initiative issued last year. How does this latest version of the framework differ in any major way from the earlier proposed framework and is this the final version and what's next? So what we did was over the course of the past year, we've worked in conjunction with our steering committee and then smaller uh, work groups within that steering committee to really develop a draft of the framework that we released in August for public comment. And then we invited anyone to review it and to, to submit comments. And we got really good feedback from a host of folks, both folks from within our steering committee and our work group offering continued comments, but also from the public. And what we've released was kind of the next iteration of that. It was the draft that has now been informed by, you know, a year's worth of working with our close partners and also opening up to public comment too. So some of the key kind of distinctions, for instance, you'll see between the August draft and what we've released in February of 2021 is, for instance, the definition again. We kind of tightened some of the definitional terms and, and clarified when certain, you know, I talked about there's a broad kind of purpose and use-based approach to the definition, but there's also a section of the definition that identifies data sets that because of their sensitivity are always going to be defined as health data under the framework, things like genetic data, things like reproductive health information, or things like data that reflects on a disability. And then there were other data sets that we were kind of trying to figure out where they best fit. And that's things like data that reflects race, like biometric data. 
So we kind of clarified that that those sets would would fall within kind of the first use based prong when they're used for you know health reasons, but maybe they're not best suited for the kind of always in category. So that's one change people will see. And then some of the other big things that I listed were a couple of the exceptions that I highlighted were things that we got a lot of feedback around. So things like how do we handle employee data? The earlier portions of the framework were frankly kind of silent. They didn't distinguish employee data. So we've tried to clarify instances where an employer would be able to use data sets to, for instance, administer benefits or, you know, provide contact information, emergency contact information, things like that. So we've clarified that within the framework. And then, like I said, we added a section that would allow certain commercial practices with some pretty tight exceptions around them. So, right, first party commercial product development, but you first have to seek and receive the affirmative consent of the consumer before you're going to use their data. You're going to have to use aggregated or de-identified data when doing it. And you're going to have to still apply the prohibitions against, you know, harmful or discriminatory treatment against consumers, things like that, that are in the framework. So we've tried to add things like those examples to the framework based on the comments we've got. And we've also, you know, folks who've read the August draft and now have an opportunity to review the framework that we've released now in in February, will see that there's a lot of kind of technical edits that we've done, lots of clerical edits based on some feedback that that we got. So we think it's a it's a tighter product, it's a it's a cleaner product, it's a more comprehensive product. In no small part, thanks to the help of of a bunch of folks that weighed in. Where we see it moving forward is we'd love to focus on making sure that the framework addresses the needs of all communities moving forward, right? So we've had input from traditionally marginalized communities, communities of color disability community. Those are some examples, but we want to make sure that the framework really to the best extent possible works for everyone. So whereas an example, a blind user may be very willing to disclose their geolocation information to help them navigate the world, right? So we want to make sure that we are understanding you know, those use cases for specific communities and making sure the framework doesn't prohibit them and helps ensure that folks can utilize technology in ways to really benefit their lives while still protecting everyone's privacy. We've done a lot of work, uh, but we want to make sure that the work continues and really addresses communities that, that may have different needs and make sure that, that they still enjoy the protections while also getting, getting the utility of the technology too. Thanks, Andy. I've been speaking to Andrew Crawford of CDT. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.